Hey, this is Thomas Scharbach coming in on Viva Sophie, uh, the five-part series on the meaning of life. And this episode is going to be focusing on the movement of existentialism. I'm here with Mr. Gibbons today. Hello. And um, let's dive in. So how would you describe the movement of existentialism? Uh, well, existentialism is a, uh, we could say, a movement or an idea which... Um, a lot of times it has this kind of mystique to it when people say existentialism. I'm mm -hmm. an existentialist. You, know, you get this idea of, um, you know, uh, like a man in, in, a, in a misty, uh, in a mist in Paris, you know, smoking a cigarette, this idea. Uh, but the idea of existentialism really, um, uh, for one thing, um, you know, not everyone who considers him or herself an existentialist would necessarily agree on what it is. Um, but one of the main ideas of existentialism, really, is this idea of, um, put it in a nutshell, that existence precedes essence. Uh, this idea of um, all that we can really know, in some sense, is our experience and um, the, free the freedom and the responsibility that goes along with that. Right. Um... And that sort of alludes back to the movement uh, in ancient Greece where they were talking about essentialism, kind of sounds similar but very different, um, that everything has a certain essence, even humans, that define what it is. And um, so uh, I've heard the example like a knife uh, is defined by the quality of the blade. And if you change, if, if you had different handles, it would still be a knife. Um, but each knife has this defining quality. And that's this, that goes the same with humans, except then existentialism says that that essence is not inherently there right? in humans. Yes, it's, uh, it's an interesting question as to uh, what, whether essence is something which is needed um, is part of the questioning of existentialism. Sorry, I got a little bit lost there. But, um, for example, Aristotle... Um, the Greek philosopher Aristotle, in talking about happiness. Um, he says that to a certain extent, we need to know what man is in order to talk about what it, happiness consists in. Right. I think we could say, although Aristotle, in, in the same breath, in the, in the Nicomachean Ethics, says that um, the knowledge of a man's essence only needs to be known insofar as it aids in the idea of towards his happiness. We don't necessarily need to know every single particular thing about essence in order to know that. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And I've heard before about this topic of Christian existentialism. And obviously, mm -hmm. uh, uh, we're uh, very inf influenced by Western religion. So I feel like it's helpful to draw parallels with Christianity. I did that a lot in the previous episode. Um, and uh, Oh, where was I trying to go with this? Oh, yeah. And I feel like this idea that the world has, well, we feel like God instills meaning, like the service of God instills this meaning, this purpose. And it almost feels like existentialism um, contradicts that. So how, how do those two ideas reconcile? Yes, great question. Um, so I think I, I'd started to say this before we began recording, um, how existentialism is sometimes associated as being a, a more modern idea and uh, in some cases sort of more nihilistic. Nihilism being the idea that um, there is no meaning and it's, it tends to be a more sort of pessimistic 
viewpoint. I think that one can be an existentialist and a nihilist, but I don't think that existentialism necessarily uh, is equated with, or one, if one is a existentialist, one is always a nihilist necessarily. Okay. Existentialism, really, I think that we could trace back to the Stoics. Uh, the Stoics were Greek philosophers who kind of emphasized the idea of, you know, living in this world of uh, of chaos. Um, or, you know, with capricious gods, mm -hmm. that the only thing that, that uh, sort of uh, happiness, or as they called it, ataraxia, mm -hmm. uh, sort of this uh, attainment of calm and tranquility, was by focusing on those things that one could control, uh, which is somewhat irrespective of knowing the cosmology of the universe. Um, take a look at um, the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, and I think that uh, Ecclesiastes, we could say, is one of the earliest um, existentialists. Um, you know, he says uh, sort of a, he talks about every, all of the toil and all of man's labors being done in vain. Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, Ecclesiastes is before Christianity. Uh, but I think that uh, Ecclesiastes kind of lays this foundation for or sort of makes a precedent for a, a kind of cohesion or a kind of uh, uh, complementarity between uh, the Judeo-Christian tradition and what could be called existentialism. Um, that being said, interestingly, when the, when the canon of the Bible was being formed in the Old Testament, um, Ecclesiastes was a controversial book to include, uh, uh, indeed because of its rather dismal view of uh, human life, um, but uh, ended up being uh, included in the canon in part uh, because in the end, the author of Ecclesiastes, um, you know, talks about finding one's meaning and finding one's uh, happiness in God. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that's at least one Old Testament thing that mm -hmm. I would say kind of meshes a little bit with the idea of existentialism. Okay. Um, and, uh, I feel like, um, there may be, there, there's a little bit of misunderstanding sometimes about, um, what nihilism is. Right. Um, and, uh, so have you seen some misunderstanding, uh, of nihilism in the past? Um, I think that, uh, well, again, nihilism like existentialism is a term that I, is not really an agreed upon definition, I think, among people. Uh, that being said, though, I mean, uh, Nietzsche actually was very influential on the idea of um, existentialism. And um, although um, Nietzsche is usually uh, kind of understood in a way which is, I think, uh, interpreted in a way that leads people to be uh, very angsty and angry and perhaps uh, aggressive. Mm -hmm. I don't think that he needs to be interpreted that way. Um, and although he certainly was an atheist, um, I think that Nietzsche also talked, kind of communicated in his works about the problem of the, the so-called death of God was really not something that he was celebrating, but something that he was saying, you know, this is a problem. Mm -hmm. Um and how are people going to find their meaning with the death of God? 
mm-hmm. um, which of course doesn't mean a literal death of God, but this idea of God has kind of become uh, absent from society in the sense of society has kind of given up on the idea of God. Mm-hmm. And these churches that he, he said remained, um, if you read, uh, this is in his book, Thus Spoke the Zarathustra, um, you know, he talks about the churches that are remaining as being like these empty tombs. Um, and uh, so in that, there, I guess you could say, sort of this nihilism in the sense of um, there's this void that's been left over by the absence of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, another existentialist, or so to speak, father of existentialism, Kierkegaard, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, during his time in, in, in Denmark, um, also talked a lot and wrote a lot about this problem of sort of this, what he saw as being sort of a fake or um, insincere exercise of religion was almost kind of also creating this sort of void of God in its own way. Um. Jean-Paul Sautre. Um, I'm going to use my... Uh, French pronunciation skills may be a little under, underdeveloped, but anyway, um, uh, explored a lot of this um, idea of uh, the terrible weight of freedom. Um, how, how would you describe that thought or mm. that idea? The terrible weight of freedom, yes. This is, um, yeah, actually one of the things that made, um, when Jean-Paul Sartre first made his debut, really big onto the, the, liter, the literary scene in France with the idea of existentialism. Uh, so, yeah, some kind of decried his notion of freedom as being overly um, uh, negative. Um, Sartre, uh, as I mentioned, Kierkegaard earlier, Sartre was influenced by Kierkegaard, who, uh, I know Kierkegaard talked about freedom as having this dizzying uh, feeling. And... Um, I think that that's something that we can all relate to, right, mm-hmm. in one way or another, uh, especially at a time in your life in high school or college where you feel kind of paralyzed by all of the possible choices. Um, so um, I'm not sure if I answered your question. Yeah, but about, yeah. you got it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard before that, um, like, with uh, books like... Um, there, there are a lot of existentialist like books in place, like mm-hmm. uh, Waiting for Godot and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, coming out after World War, these were coming out after World War II because um, people had a hard time believing in an organized universe because of all the terrible things they witnessed. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's something I've always found uh, very interesting. A little bit about human nature. Um, are you familiar with uh, Viktor Frankl? Yes. So uh, just kind of in in tandem with your talking about World War II, uh, what I think is interesting is, uh, so Viktor Frankl was an Austrian Jew psych- psychologist and psychoanalyst, perhaps. And um, he uh, went into the concentration camps. And um, uh, his, his sort of school of psychology, as it were, was called logotherapy. Uh, logo coming from the word, the Greek word for word or meaning. And um, after he got out of the concentration camps, he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning. 
uh, in which he kind of talks about existentialist themes. But one of his uh, observations in the um, in the concentration camp was that uh, the people who I mean, obviously, some people died because they were forced to die. But um, aside from that, the people who seemed to do the flourish the most or survive the best in the sense that they were, you know, living in healthily and well, uh, were people who had some kind of meaning or that they were striving toward, even if that were something as simple as singing or um, imagining a way out or basically having some kind of meaning um, that sustained them. Right. And um, I think, uh, <clears throat> and so after after um, he got out of the camp, that was something that he um, uh, you know, promulgated in his work, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, which I think is interesting because I think that in terms of World War II, having this influence of people thinking, you know, how could there be a beneficent meaning to the universe when these kinds of terrible things can happen? Also, though, I think in Viktor Frankl's experience, opened up this window for how looking for meaning actually can provide consolation in a context where meaning feels so absent. Okay. Oh, yeah. And also, can you explain uh, the concept of the absurd? Uh, the absurd. We've touched on that a little bit already, but um, never really defined the term. Yes, I think, yeah. Um, so one idea that is po uh, usually associated with existentialism uh, is the idea of the absurd. Now, uh, the person who's most famous for talking about the absurd was the writer um, Albert Camus. Um, although Albert Camus, I believe, was resistant to the idea of being called an existentialist, interestingly okay. enough. Um, but um, it's this idea, essentially, that, yeah, life has no real meaning, um, especially in the repetitiveness of, of daily life, you know, the, the commute, the workday, the going home going to bed, doing it all over again. Uh, Camus says the absurd can at any moment smack a man right in the face. And I think there are moments in life where that hits us maybe more than others, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Where all of a sudden in the course of a day, we're struck with um, all of this is leading to, and I think that this is a point that I don't think we've really talked about yet, that all of this is simply leading to death, right? right. One of the ideas of existentialism that... Uh, uh, the philosopher Heidegger, and I know I said I wouldn't talk too much about names, um, <laughs> but um, in his book Being in Time, which is a fundamental text of philosophy, uh, existentialism, um, he talks about our being and our existence is constantly overshadowed by our non-being, by death. Mm -hmm. And um, so this, in a subtle way, influences all of our actions um, but at the same time, all of those actions are somewhat futile because they can't actually stave off the inevitability of, um, of death. Uh, so the absurd is kind of, in a way, this intrusion of the idea of non-being, of death, uh, kind of making its way into our consciousness, into our awareness. Of course... Uh, that then raises a question, though, of is our awareness of death really such a bad thing? Mm -hmm. Or can that help us to actually live more deliberately and in a more fuller way than mm -hmm. if we deny the reality of death?
Well, let me just ask you a question, if I may. I I guess to kind of think of why should talk, why should existentialism be important for people to consider about the meaning of life? What does it have to do with the meaning of life? What does it have to do with the meaning of life? So do you think it's for modern people today, for example, I guess you could say, uh, would you say that existentialism is something that everyone needs to wrestle with, or is it an idea that people can leave to the side? I think it definitely has relevance today. Um, and depending on how you view the world and what you believe, you might put it aside or deny um, that there is not, or that uh, there's a, this lack of inherent essence. Um but um, I think it's still still very relevant because um, in some way or another, we need to uh, define for ourselves what uh, um, we need to define for ourselves what suffering means. So everyone in some way or another um, needs to define uh, for themselves what how to understand suffering. Um, and how to, um, and, uh, and how to sort of, uh, reason with it, how to, how to understand it, touching back on what Viktor Frankl said, um, those people who, um, who had this something to, uh, look forward to almost, uh, beyond the suffering in the concentration camps were the ones who were able to survive longer. Right. Um, uh, or the ones who are able to flourish or had the most life. Um, and I think this is just an um, important thing to consider um, because uh, meaning is an Im- meaning's important for sure. Yeah, and I, I think maybe I'll close with Viktor Frankl, who uh, actually in that book, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, he quotes, it's funny because it's a quote that's oftentimes attributed to Viktor Frankl, but it's actually from Nietzsche. Uh, which is that uh, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Which raises, dear listeners, the question of what is your why? Yes? Is there a why? Well, I think there is. But that's a question everyone has to consider for themselves. All right, well, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, this has been Viva Sophie, uh, and thank you, Mr. Gibbons, for joining thank me Thank you so much for having me, Thomas. It's been a delight. Yes. Uh...